Man, this uh, morning we are starting a, a new series that's going to kind of last us through the, the remainder of the summer. And we are calling this series Squad Goals because we are hip like that. We are cool like that. And by cool and hip, I mean like we are five years out of whatever is trending. And we just wanted to prove it. But for those of you who are not familiar uh, with some of the contemporary colloquialism, some of the uh, trendy speak, um, which that's me. I am completely out of the loop in so many regards. But about five years ago, these words, squad goals, uh, became a trending way to describe relationship aspirations. It's the way you would express a relational aspiration. Let me, let me explain it this way. So if you saw, um, man, a, a group of people, whether they're a team or whether they're friends and they're interacting or they're engaging in a beautiful way and it's just epic and it's adventurous, you would look at them and say, ah, I want my relationships to be like your relationships. I'd like my friendships to be like your friendships. I'd like my team to be like your team. I aspire to experience a little bit more of what you guys are experiencing relationally. And so you would say, ah, squad goals. I want my relationships to look a little more like that. Um, The interesting thing, though, is uh, I would suspect... That heaven would look down at us, and by us I mean the church. And heaven would kind of scratch its head and say, I don't know if y'all knew, but you are squad goals. You may not have known that, but you are squad goals. God actually designed you, the church, to be what the world and the heavenly realms look at and say, we want our relationships to look like those relationships because the way they relate and the way they interact is relational aspirations for us. That God put us in many ways in the world to be a picture of what he designed relationships to be. And when we engage each other meaningfully, the way the Bible calls us to engage each other, heaven and earth both say, whoa, Squad goals. God designed us to kind of be like his Instagram account. And it's the way that he shows off a picture of what relationships should look like. Let me show this to you. This is in Ephesians chapter 3. This is not where we're going to spend um, uh, our time this morning. But I I want you to see this. This is Ephesians chapter 3 describing um, the church. Verse 9. Here's what it says. We're going to have this up here on the screen. Um, Paul says, hey, let me tell you a little bit about my job. And one of the things I get to do is to, verse 9, make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, this, this secret, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. I love that, by the way. One of the ways the Bible describes the church is as God's best kept secret. I love that. No one saw the church coming, by the way. Uh, You can study it if you want. If you read the Old Testament and you you read the various prophecies, you will find the church missing. No one saw the church coming. Those prophecies about the coming of the Messiah and he would show up and he would beat up all the bad guys. And then he would establish his kingdom and bada bing, bada boom, the end. But no one saw the church. That was God's best kept secret hidden in a little dip. So all prophetic Utterances just couldn't see through their telescopes 
the church. God was holding out. I love how God kept us to himself. Verse 10 says, his intent, God's plan, was that now through the church, that's us, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the manifold wisdom, the sheer brilliance of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God apparently was waiting for just the right time to let this secret out. And he was waiting for just the right time to show off his absolute brilliance. Wanted everyone to know how wise he is. And so when the perfect time came, God revealed the church, made her known. That's why if you read that the disciples are always like, wait, and now are you going to bring the kingdom? And now is this a kingdom start? And Jesus is like, there's a whole new thing, y'all. Just wait on it. And when the time came, God revealed the church. Made the church known because he wanted to go out of his way to brag about his brilliance. And then it was time the church was born and God was saying, here we go. I am so brilliant. If there's any question about that, exhibit A, the church. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't often feel like the church makes God look all that brilliant, but that doesn't change the fact that that was God's intent in this secret now made known called the church. God is like, I'm so brilliant. Watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to take people who are nothing like each other, who many of them don't like each other, who look nothing like each other, who are from different backgrounds in different colors and different socioeconomic stati, if you will. I'm going to take people of different abilities and people who just wouldn't pick each other at recess. And I'm not going to just make them friends. I'm going to make them family. And when you see the way this family interacts with each other, people from different backgrounds, you are going to have to say, whoa, who did that? Brag time. I did because I'm brilliant. This was God's intent in the church, that the church would somehow be the billboard of the brilliance of God in the way that we engage and we relate to each other. And now the heavenly realms are saying squad goals. That was God's plan in the church. Now, again, we didn't come up with a phrase. Um, We have a bunch of other phrases. But our relationships were the way that God wanted to show off his brilliance. Um, How are we doing? I guess that's a great question. Like, how are we doing being the bragging right of God? How are we doing? I mean, in our culture, being the squad goals of the communities in which we Live. How are we doing helping God brag on his brilliance to the heavenly realms? In other words, how are we doing in the way we are relating to each other? The way we're embracing and engaging each other. The great news is that no matter how we were doing Before today, there is always this beautiful opportunity to take steps towards being part of the picture of God's great wisdom 
put on display and a picture of what he designed to show off to the world around us. And frankly, as we'll see throughout this series, uh, uh, what we were designed to thrive in, the kinds of relationships we were called to thrive in. So um, a simple way to, to take steps towards being this bragging right, towards being heaven's squad goals, um, is through what are often referred to as the one another's. Um, the one another's. The one another's are um, these 59 rules of engagement that show up in the Bible. It's just ways God calls us to treat each other. God calls us to engage each other. And essentially he's saying, if you all engage each other like this, you paint the picture you were left on earth to paint. And frankly, you become more of who you were designed to become. These 59 rules, and we're going to spend the summer looking at some of them. They're not 59 weeks in the summer, um, but we're going to just look at some of them um, together. And this morning, we're going to start by looking at the mother of all the one another's. Um, and um, this, is, this is a principle, really, that holds them all together. In fact, every other one another is an expression of this one another. And if you've been around the church, you can guess where we're going. It's the chief one another. Um, God's call for us to love one another. Love one another. If we even take baby steps in what this looks like, uh, we will find ourselves becoming a squad goal, so to speak, and God getting his brag on through us. If we even take small steps, um, we'll find ourselves just becoming more of what he's designed us and left us on earth um, to be. And we'll talk about this because you can talk biblically, you can talk scientifically. Um, It is amazing all the research that's been done and all the experiments that have been done that will prove to you that even your health is affected by your, your relationships, that people who are in meaningful uh, relationships just tend to fend off sickness a little bit more than people who are not. This is just God's beautiful, beautiful design that we want to explore over the next number of weeks. But this morning, we want to talk about this chief of all the one another's. And to do that, we're going to spend time really just in one verse, John chapter 13, um, And verse 34, Um, uh, one simple principle, one simple and yet revolutionary principle that we want to just spend a little bit of time um, looking at, and then we'll spend the next number of weeks just teasing out in many ways. John chapter 13, verse 34, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, the verses um, will be up here on the screen. Um, this is Jesus speaking, and here's what he says. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. There's that one another. And in it, the chief of all one another's. Let me read this one more time. A new command I give you. Love one 
another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All right, so a few observations from uh, this simple verse. And here's the first observation about this verse. Uh, Jesus does not share opinions. Jesus does not share opinions. That's a great place for us um, to start. Man, you know, my wife and I, we used to be um, cool parents uh, some time ago. And uh, I'm telling you, like, we had great things to say uh, to our kids. And uh, our kids, and particularly our oldest two, they would do the weirdest stuff. Like they would, for instance, believe us when we told them something. They'd be like, oh, for real? Well, then we better put our stuff away. Um, and then, um, anyway, they became teenagers. And I don't know what happened. Like Sabrina, the teenage witch, or someone came into the house it just possessed them. And um, one of the things that happened is um, it's like they won the opinion lottery. And all of a sudden, they had trillions of opinions. Um, everything was opinions. They became like opinionaires. They were so wealthy in the matter of opinions. And I remember just like, wait, when did this happen? And how did this happen? And how, how, when did this all become about opinions? Like, um, mm. Mm, well, thank you for sharing that, Father. Um, that's good. Um, however, <laughs> in my opinion, like, what? I don't see how getting shot in the leg would hurt that much. I'm like, how are we having these conversations? And it became that way just about a variety of things. Like I would say something and all of a sudden it became like, well, okay, okay, that's, that's, that's your opinion. Thank you for sharing your opinion, mom. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, woman, slow down. Hang on, please, hammer, hammer. Don't, don't hurt them. We will need these children to take care of us when we're old <laughs> in a couple of years here. Um, but all of a sudden it did. It became this thing about opinions. Well, in my opinion, I just think that's not good parenting. Uh, in my opinion, I think good parents should let us eat whatever we want, whenever we want. And we should come home whenever we want and do whatever we want. In our opinion, that's what we think. Matter of fact, we have a bunch of friends and they share the same opinion. And in fact, their parents, they let them do that. So in their opinion, it sounds like you guys are out opinioned. And so in our opinion, you guys should, and on and on it goes. And I'm just scratching my head like, when did this, when you start to pay the bills... You can have a few more opinions. But until then, excuse us while we become experts at disregarding your opinion on our parenting. Where we think you should disregard. We just think in our opinion, disregard. Hey, they'll work it out in therapy again when they're older. But for now, we're like, disregard. And you know, while I'm talking about it, forget the kids. It's the whole country. <laughs> oh man, it must be warm in here. Um, but, but really, like everybody now are opinionaires in this country, right? Like everybody has an opinion that they believe is a right opinion. And then we went and invented Facebook, which gives everyone a platform in which they can just shout about what I think is wrong and what I think is right. And everybody believes they're correct. And what I think is wrong with this country. And I just disregard. Would you like to see more? No, I would like to disregard. Thank you very much. Now I bring this up for a reason. Um, 
Because in an era of lots of opinions and the exchange of opinions, it is tempting. I'm just telling you, it is tempting to come to this glorious book and read these red words and think for a moment that we can treat Jesus like our teenage kids or like your out-of-touch parents or like all the social media rights, which is why I love how this verse is framed. Jesus comes out of the gates and he says, I don't share opinions. I issue orders. I don't give things for you to consider. I give commands to be followed. I don't speak in a way. I don't care if you like what I have to say necessarily. I just care that you do what I say. Now again, we realize Jesus is much more caring than that. But the point still stands. Jesus isn't taking a poll when he speaks. He's not saying, what do you think about this? And in your opinion, in your, when did this become an exchange of opinions? When y'all start paying the heavenly light bills, then maybe we can have this exchange of opinions. But in the meantime, I'm issuing a command. And I say this because it's key for us as we move forward in this series and figure out what does it look like to engage each other and put the glory of God on display. What Jesus calls us to is not an option that we can say, well, thanks for sharing your opinion. When it comes to loving other people, church, this is not an option Jesus gives us with the luxury of hitting disregard. This is a command. And Jesus says, listen, I am commanding you to love each other. If you do not figure out what it looks like to love each other, you are in essence hitting the disregard button on Jesus and saying, well, in your opinion, but in our opinion, in fact, Jesus, we found a whole bunch of people who disregard what you have to say. So you may be out opinioned right now. And this is key because as we continue, it's good for us to frame this. In the context of a command, Jesus isn't sharing a mere opinion. Are you obeying his command to love others or has it become optional to you? The second observation is, is this. Jesus is, is not into sales. Um, Jesus is not into sales. Man, right, my son and I, uh, my... I was going to say my oldest is my only son. Um, but we went to get some pretty routine things checked out on my car this past week. Um, and stop judging me. I can feel it. Like you manly men and womanly women who are like, oh, you don't know how to do some of the basic things on your car? No, I don't know how to do things. I take my car to people who know how to do things. I'm too busy reading the Bible and loving Jesus. <laughs> you can do what you, what you want to do. Oh, God. Oh, man. I just really don't know. Anyway, so I went in and uh, uh, they <laughs> looked at my car. And then the guy calls me over and he explains to me, like, okay, you have a leak in your tire. Like, you have the smallest of leaks in your tire. I said, okay. He said, um, 
Okay, so where it's located on the tire, if it were located like four inches to the east or four inches to the north, we would be able to fix it. But as it stands right now, I'm sorry to tell you, you're going to need to purchase a new tire. Can we process that right now? And I'm like, what? Okay, I may not be great at this car thing, but it sounds like this is a little bit of a salesman pitch that you are giving me. You are telling me that it's here and not there, and therefore you can't fix it. I need a whole new tire, I'm afraid to tell you. And I'm like, I don't know enough about cars to argue with you. Um, This feels wrong, but I also have 17 children at home, and I can't put them at risk by throwing them in a car if it's leaking. And so you win this one, sir. You win this one. I shall purchase this new tire from you. Now get on the phone and explain this situation to my wife because I'm going to need some backup on this. Um, I, I, I did feel a little salesman because sales is, is this art of creating, in essence, a deficit in somebody else. And one of the great ways to do that is to convince them that whatever they have, that's, it's obsolete, it's outdated. You need a new one. Sales. It's, it's the art of telling somebody like, hey, that sweater is so 2018 and no one wears them. And, okay, maybe sweater is a bad illustration on this particular day. Um, but it's, it's the art of, I hear this on a regular basis, like Facebook. You still use Facebook? That's for old people. The new thing is, I'm like, I don't care about the new thing. I like my Facebook. Let me be old. But that's the art of sales. And I bring that up because it may be just that I'm a little cynical and maybe a tad jaded from my experience at the car place over that puncture in the tire, etc. But doesn't it sound like Jesus is pulling a salesman pitch on us here a little bit? I'm just telling you, when I read this at first, I'm like, mm, that sounds like a little bit of a sales pitch, Jesus. A new command I give you. What? What do you mean a new command you give me? Because I've seen this command before. Well, no. Well, it's a new one. This is new because um, the... Okay, look at this. This is in Leviticus. Um, uh, Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. I'm like, wait, what? Right? Sounds like Jesus is about to sell us some love. How? By telling us that there's a new kind out, right? It's a new kind. Like There's a puncture in your, your love, so you're going to need to upgrade to that 2019 love. But look at this, Leviticus 19. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Busted. This is not a new command. Which, by the way, is why it's so helpful to know that Jesus is not into sales. He never exaggerates. He never tries to create a deficit in us by telling us that somehow, like, I'm going to sell you on something by convincing you that what you have is no good just so I can sell you on something. No, if he says new, then he means new. And if you read a new command, it should absolutely grab your attention. But the question is, new how, though? Because we've seen this command before. Great question. Uh, What Jesus is doing here is not necessarily introducing a new command of loving other people. He's not saying a new thing because the command itself is new. He's saying it's new because Jesus is introducing a new and revolutionary point of reference. And this is huge 
for us. In fact, if we are going to get squad goals, we are going to want to understand this. He is introducing a new point of reference. New. See, because before I commanded you all to love your neighbor. True. And before I commanded you all to love your neighbor the way you love yourself. You were the point of reference. But this just in. A new reference point I give you. Now I'm commanding you, love the people around you the way I have loved you. I am now the reference point. This is the new that Jesus is introducing. I'm not merely commanding you to love each other the way you love yourselves. Because frankly, some of you don't love yourselves all that great. Now I'm saying love each other the way I have loved you. That is revolutionary. That will change everything in your family. That will change everything in the church. That will change everything in the community. Love each other how the way I have loved you. And all of a sudden we feel that wind of shift. The kind of love that puts the glory of God on display and makes a bragging right of his brilliance is no longer that kind of love that hinges on what you think about yourself. It doesn't hinge on what you feel about yourself. This love no longer swivels on what you think or feel about each other. It's been taken into a whole new realm with a whole new reference point. No, this love revolution revolves around Jesus. And the key question, if we're going to keep his command, is this. Yeah, but how has he loved me? That's the question. Old love. That says, I will love you as long as I like you. That's the old love. He says, I'll love you as long as you love me. I'll love you as long as you're safe. I'll love you as long as you don't ever hurt me. I'll love you as long as I think you deserve it. I'll love you as long as we agree and see eye to eye on some of the key matters of life. But if I don't like you, Lord forbid you hurt me. Or if you annoy me, frankly. If your kind makes me uncomfortable, though. Oh, we get to the place where you're no longer legally, technically my responsibility. Then love will become optional and I will say, well, thanks, Jesus, in your opinion, great. But in my opinion, she's a jerk. And what you will notice is regular love. Everybody does this. We all do this. The whole world does. This is how we all love each other. I love you if I like you. This revolutionary love, Jesus is saying, the question is not, how do you like them? The question is, how have I loved you? I am the reference point. Look at me. Don't look at them because you're not loving them because of them. You're loving them because of me. Regular love is so subjective. Revolutionary love has Jesus as its reference point. If I'm feeling good about me, if I have a little extra time, then I'll love you. Other than that, I've decided it's optional. 
And I pick the options of who I love, when I love, and how I love. And Jesus is saying, new command. I am the reference point. Is your love for the people around you regular or revolutionary? What's its point of reference? That is going to make all the difference. And it will take out of our conversation that like, but she, you don't understand. She, she, yeah, but she is no longer the point of reference for whether or not she gets loved by you. Jesus is the point of reference. Love as I have loved you. Now at this point, it's fair to say love is still a vague concept. What does it even mean to love people the way Jesus has loved us? Um, How has Jesus loved us? Um, Now, for those of us who are sitting in the church and maybe we're a little more familiar with the church, uh, we will read the words of Jesus, love others as I have loved you. And immediately, 2,000 years removed, we're going to think about this through the lens of the cross. And what is conjured in our minds is the bloody cross and the empty grave where Jesus came and sacrificially offered his life to bring us forgiveness and freedom forever and ever and ever. Amen. But the people who are reading these words... And recalling these words. They hadn't walked through Good Friday yet. They hadn't experienced their first Easter Sunday yet. They weren't thinking about the cross. When they were hearing the words of Jesus. That's not what came to mind. They were actually thinking more about food and feet. Two things I think should never really be spoken in the same sentence. But that's what they were thinking about um, when they heard this um, command. If you read this whole chapter, the context of this chapter, when Jesus spoke these words, he's sitting at an emotionally charged dinner, sitting around the table. Um, with some of his closest friends, some of his dearest followers, is sitting around the table at what is famously known as the Last Supper. This is just hours before Jesus is going to be brutally executed on a cross. And he knows it. Which means I can only imagine this is sitting pretty heavy on his heart as he's having dinner with his friends and his followers. But that's not the only thing he's painfully aware of. Jesus also knows that in just a few moments, these so-called close friends and these so-called followers of his are going to abandon him in his darkest hour of need without even thinking twice about it. Things are going to get difficult for Jesus and these guys are going to Bail on him. And Jesus is sitting with that reality looming. And that's on his heart. But that's not the only thing he knows. Jesus also is very, very aware of the fact that one of the individuals sitting around this table is going to personally betray him. And that is how he's going to ultimately die. He is going to be sold out for a little spare change To the tune of his death. He has a traitor sitting around this table. But it's really interesting that John wants us to know something else. Look at what he says. Um, This is a little bit earlier in this chapter. This is verse 3. I love this. John wants us to also know that Jesus was fully aware, sitting there, that all power was in his hand. This is so great. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning 
to God. I love that. Every ounce of power was in Jesus' hands and he knew it. I can't imagine the feeling of like, I can do anything I want. Power inconceivable. Power conceivable. Jesus is clothed. He is drenched in power sitting at that table, which makes for a very powerful movie scene if you ask me. And if you were the the, the author of a book or you were the, the writer of this movie, I'd be curious to know what you would do next in this scene. Now, let me just review the facts for you. Jesus is sitting at a table. He's about to die. Die why? Because one of the dudes at the table is going to betray him to his death. And then what? And then all of his so-called friends, they're going to bail out on him. And here's Jesus sitting with that reality, heavy on his heart, but also clothed and armed with all conceivable power. Scene. What comes next? I'll tell you what comes next. If I was writing this, I would write, and then Jesus doth vaporize the entire bunch and got some new friends. <laughs> that makes the most sense to me. Like, I'd be like, get him, Jesus. Like, live to fight another day. But instead of that, Jesus washes their feet. What? Who does that? Apparently Jesus does. Because check out verse 4. The very next verse. I love this. I got power and then feet. So he got up from the meal. And he took off his outer clothing. And wrapped a towel around his waist. Now if I was watching this and reading this in real time. I'm like that's right. Like Jesus is getting ready to hit somebody. Like he took off his shirt. You know. Uh, I don't know how you did in high school. But this was. Anyway. Verse 5. After that. He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus got up, took off that outer garment. He got low and he starts to wash the feet of these sellouts. He knows they're about to abandon him. And with all power in his hand, he takes those treacherous feet that he had created in his hands, his very feet that are going to flee from him in a few moments, and he starts to wash them. This cultural gesture of honor, this cultural gesture of hospitality, it was a way that you brought refreshing and a way you brought blessing to somebody, particularly if they were tired and weary. And this is the way Jesus goes out serving them in this way by the way a gesture that no self-respecting jew would ever no self-respecting jew would ever wash somebody's feet that was reserved for gentiles that was reserved for slaves that was when somebody of a lower class would serve somebody of a higher class and yet here is jesus a rabbi is not only washing the feet of his followers but his followers who are about to betray him which is by the way why peter's like "Mm, nope 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 Nope, nope, not mine. You can't do this. This is weird. This shouldn't be. But Jesus does it anyway. This would have baffled the disciples, but it would have also been what jumped to their minds when he said, love each other the way I have loved you. They would have thought about their feet. They would have recalled this scene to their minds. And they would have understood what Jesus is saying is leverage your power, leverage your privilege to bring refreshing and blessing to each other, especially when you think they don't deserve it. Because that's what I did for y'all. 
Now, you don't have to convince me to bless people I like. You don't have to convince me to bring refreshing to the people I like. But this is new. This is a different reference point. And what Jesus is essentially saying is love them anyway. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. We blur the glory of God and his bragging right and his brilliance. Because in the church there is a little too much love them if. And Jesus would say love them anyway. A new command I give you. Love each other anyway. Bless and refresh each other anyway. But theologically we don't agree. Like she believes like people shouldn't speak in tongues. Well he speaks in tongues all the time. We theologically disagree and it's just not cool. And Jesus would be like I get it. Love each other anyway. But she votes politically differently than he votes. And they're on opposing sides. of the. Yep. I want you to serve each other anyway. Well, but, but, but they do morally deplorable things, things that I morally don't agree with. Like, I, I just, yup. Wash their feet anyway. No, but no, you don't understand what they did. And they never even apologized. They never even owned it. You don't understand. Well, yeah, but I'm not telling you to look at them. I'm telling you to look at me and love them anyway. I can't imagine if we're having a a conversation with Jesus about this. But you don't understand theologically. Jesus says, let me tell you theologically. My disciples, they believed that I was the Messiah who was going to come in as a military force. And I was going to just beat up the Romans. And then I was going to establish my kingdom. Do you know how wrong they were theologically? They were so wrong. (sighs) I washed their feet anyway. Oh, you want to talk about moral? <laughs> There's a guy sitting around this table who is going to betray me and I'm going to die. Can I just tell you that I don't agree with that moral choice he's making? I am going to wash his crusty feet anyway. But you don't understand culturally we're so different. Yeah, you know what? I'm like from heaven. <laughs> they were from earth. Very different. But I served them Anyway, they were not safe, but I loved them anyway. I didn't call you to love people that you, you know, based on theological precision or, or you know, political persuasion or your, your, whatever personal preferences you felt. I am calling you to love people based on the way I have loved you. And nothing shows that off better than when you feel they don't deserve it because that's what i did for you that's what i did for you as we start this journey this summer this is the reference point in fact as we look at all the one another's you can pick carry one another's burdens the way i carried yours serve each other the way i served you Jesus is introducing this powerful reference point. I want you to treat each other, love each other anyway. Not because the people deserve it, especially because they don't deserve it. That's how I loved you. Because remember, I mean, you remember when, when, when I got up and I took off my outer garment of my glory. We've talked about this here at this church and we'll continue to talk about this. But you remember, Jesus would tell us that, remember? And remember how I I wrapped the towel of human flesh around my waist. Remember? And remember how I came low. 
into your world. And you better believe the angelic beings are like, gods don't do this. This doesn't seem right. You shouldn't be doing that. But you remember when I did that. Remember when with the basin of my body, I emptied out my blood and I washed you anyway. Even when you didn't deserve this, I did this for you. And I knew you, by the way. I knew what you would struggle with. I knew the ways you would betray me. I knew the ways you would be ashamed of me at school. I knew the ways you would make the politics of country more important than the agenda of the kingdom. I knew all of this. And I washed you anyway. And now I'm saying, it's your turn. Go and figure out how to bring blessing And refreshing to each other. Especially in the moments when we're weary. And especially in the moments when we're tired. And especially in the moments when we're struggling. And Jesus would say, especially the people you believe don't deserve it. Because that's where the miracle is shown. And that's where his glory is most put on display. So I just want to ask you as we start this journey. Who are the people in the church you are like, I don't like this person. I don't agree with them. Culturally, we're so different. They, they make me a little scared. So, you know, and this is what we say. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't dislike them. I just avoid them. Like avoid one another is a biblical virtue. Like I pray the spirit of God would bring to mind maybe even somebody in your family who, who's a follower of Jesus or, or uh, somebody in your friend group. You're like, yeah, I... Mm. Now, I'm not mean to you, but I would never consider bringing blessing or bringing refreshing. I wonder what it might look like for you to just say, I want to be part of God's Instagram account. I want to be part of that bragging right. I want to figure out how to love, not because they're deserving of it, not because I'm feeling it. And you notice nothing in this command is about how you feel about the person. That's the love that has taken over. Do I feel love? Do I feel like love? Jesus is like, no. I'm guessing Jesus wasn't particularly feeling like washing their feet. This love is a choosing love. As we gaze at the one who chose to give himself for us. But I wonder who might it be in your circle that this week you can just write a note and say, can I just write a note to tell you, um, you're awesome. That's it. Just because you want to take a step towards blessing. Or you want to bring a meal as an act of refreshing. Or you just want to say hello as a step of no longer avoiding. We complicate this, but it's not this grand gesture all the time. Sometimes it's just I took a step in your direction because I want to figure out how to bless you. And I want to figure out how to bring refreshing to you. That's our prayer. Take the step. And then together over the next number of weeks, we'll continue to figure out different practical steps we can take to express loving each other and putting the glory of Jesus on display. And speaking of refreshing, there are going to be cold waters as you walk out of this place because we love y'all. And sometimes it's as simple as that, right? And uh, man, I'm super thankful for our team, by the way, who thought of that. Um, But I'm going to pray real quick and then we'll encourage you all to, man, head on out um, and maybe say hi to somebody you, you wouldn't normally. Now, if somebody says hi to you, don't be like, so have you hated me this whole time? They may just, 
Don't be weird, man. They may just be saying hi. That's all. All right, Father, thank you so much for the ways you call us to love each other. And we just pray that we would keep our eyes fixed on you. Jesus, thank you for your unspeakable love for us. You are amazing. Help us to continue to long to put your glory, your wisdom, your brilliance on display. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.